Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Wow, a lot going on in the news today. We will be getting to as we continue through the program. Allison Gill is going to drop by. Mueller, she wrote, is her podcast. She's an investigative reporter. Why was Mike Pence and his entire staff locked out of the safe, secure offices for the vice president in the Capitol during the traitorous, seditious coup attempt? And I want to know, is the January 6th Treason Committee looking into this? And by the way, I think we should all start calling it the Treason Committee. Start the hashtag Treason Committee. Just always refer to it as the Treason Committee. Maybe we can get the media to start referring to the 1-6 Committee in Congress as the Treason Committee. Because they're looking into treason. Come on, let's, let's call this what it is. But was this an attempt to murder Mike Pence? I'm... Uh, you know, inquiring minds want to know. Allison Gill will be with us. And Navid Shah, one of the best ways to help disabled vets is to pass the voting rights bill. We'll get to that. And, you know, a salute to all our veterans out there. We have one here in the studio. In fact, Joyce is a veteran and came in and gave us her PFC Joyce salute this morning. (laughs) But there's a trending hashtag, you know, support veterans and pass voting rights. I'm sorry, I have this hashtag wrong. I don't have it right in front of me, but I retweeted it earlier this morning that if we really want to support our veterans, this is a common defense came out with this. This means more than just giving statements of gratitude and support in a year of unprecedented attacks on our democracy. Honoring veterans must include action on behalf of veterans, including their freedom to vote. So let's do that. It's also my 49th anniversary. So Louise, I love you. Thank you for 49 great years. Actually, longer than well, 49 years we've been married. We've been together longer than that. In fact, we were married at 11, 11 a.m., which is also when the armistice for World War I was signed. <laughs> Very interesting. Okay, in this hour, I want to get into what jurists don't know about Kyle Rittenhouse and the fact that he was essentially a right-wing terrorist taking pictures and flashing white power signs with Proud Boys after he killed two people. We'll get into that, but during a break, I was scrolling through my my Twitter timeline or whatever you call it and uh, here was this tweet by Allison Gill the uh, she's the host of Muller she wrote it's a, a great podcast Muller M U E L L E R she S H E wrote W R O T E dot com is the website if you want to you know sign up for it and also daily beans pod uh, dot com and uh, Mueller, but Mueller, M-U-E-L-L-E-R, she wrote, is the Twitter handle as well. And, and I, I saw this tweet, Pence's team huddled in the loading dock, unable to access their offices, uh, presumably in the Capitol building, because their access badge had been de-whatever, you know, had, it didn't, didn't work anymore. And I'm like, holy cow, is this the smoking gun that shows that, that Mike Pence was actually being set up to be executed? And uh, but I don't know. I, re- I retweeted it with a note uh, wondering if that was the case. And uh, sure enough, Allison Gill is on the line with us right now, the host of the Mueller She Wrote podcast. And uh, so why, Allison, welcome to the program. Why was Pence and his staff locked out of his office? Why was his badge deactivated on uh, the day that that uh, that traitorous act on January 6th happened? Well, hi. First of all, thanks for having me. My pleasure. The why, I think the why would be speculative. I don't know. But, you know, we've heard reporting from Jonathan Carl at ABC that they were huddled in that parking garage. 
There are apparently photographs of that happening that Pence himself has blocked from being released. And, you know, there's so much reporting that's out there publicly about Pence not wanting to leave the Capitol, not trusting the people to get into a car to drive him away from the Capitol. But the why, I mean, I'm with you. If, If all of a sudden you're the vice president and your staff, your aides, and you are unable to access your office because your your card keys, which worked earlier in the morning, are no longer functioning, and they also don't work at the White House or the VP office complex, and then they're restored later that night after the violence is, has passed, uh, you have to wonder why, because other folks in, in Congress were able to access their offices, and senators were able to use their cards to access their offices. So it seems very pointed. And interesting that it's the VP and his staff that had to end up in a parking garage huddled down there talking about a constitutional crisis instead of in their offices holed up and hunkered down. Well, Allison, this raises a whole pile of questions. Um, number one, who had the authority to authorize or deauthorize these card keys? Number two, was this done, you know, it, it mistakenly or with the best of intentions to try to protect Pence, although I can't figure out how that would work. Uh, number three, was this done because at that point in time when those cards got deauthorized, uh, if this was some conspiracy being run out of the White House or by Donald Trump or out of the Willard Hotel war room, because at that point they expected that uh, Mike Pence would have already been executed by the mob and they didn't want uh, you know, the mob to have access to the offices, they didn't want any of that stuff to get out. Uh, or is this was this a way of making Pence more available to the mob? Would he have had higher security in his own? You know, there is an office for the vice president there in the Capitol. Uh, would he? You know, would it have been a place he could safely hide out? I mean, I don't know the answers to any of these questions, but those are the questions this raises for me. Are there other ones it raises for you? And and do you think any of mine are particularly cogent or particularly stupid? No, I think they're all cogent. Especially, I'm I'm very interested in who has access to deactivate those cards particularly with the new information we're getting about a fellow named McEntee, who, you know, we've been reporting on him uh, for a long time on the Mueller She Wrote podcast, but he was the 29-year-old in charge of the president's personnel office, uh, in charge of hiring and and firing and bringing on ambassadors and cabinet members, and I'm assuming uh, giving them key cards, access cards, but I don't know if they do that or if the Secret Service does that. I'm not sure who's in charge of that. I asked my sources, and and they uh, did not tell me. And then also, one of my questions uh, as well, Tom, was maybe these were deactivated as a safety measure. Uh, For for example, if if somebody from the the mob, the riotous mob, got got a hold of somebody's key card, Mm -hmm. somebody like the vice president or or hung person, Right, right. Well, then would they have access to these offices instead of having to do what they did, which was resort to breaking down doors? Um, but again, everyone else's card keys worked. Uh, and the fact that their card keys also did not work at the White House and the, uh, you know, the separate vice president office complex from the Capitol complex or the vice president offices in the Capitol complex just seems a little... Uh, too much of a coincidence. Well, it to seems me. like I the vice president got deauthorized himself. Yeah, I personally think that that's the case. And again, that's speculation. I do not have any corroboration on that. But that seems to me like he was locked out and left to the mob. Now, one of the things that Trump is fighting a release of is uh, apparently. Now, I, I'm I'm hearing this from press reports. I don't have an inside source in the in the uh, January sixth treason committee. But apparently, Trump had prepared an executive order of some sort, and nobody knows what's in it, and they want to get their hands on it. What if the executive order was to say, you know, Mike Pence didn't do his job, he's no longer vice president, I'm appointing, you know, John McEntee as my vice president or whoever, and so, uh, hey, you're not vice president anymore, we're going to deauthorize your card. Do you know anything about that, about this this so-called executive order? Yeah, I don't know what's in that executive order. I'm very interested to find out, though I do think that if those documents go to the committee, they, they probably won't be released to the public anytime soon to help preserve any potential future criminal investigations. But, you know, I mean, maybe that executive order is declaring martial law, which was a kind of part of the plan, part of the Eastman's, you know, coup plan, right. uh, if they couldn't get 
you know, if they were trying to get maybe some people kidnapped or you know, I, I really don't know what's in that. The, the other, order, the other thing I'm that I'm very interested to find out about it. Yeah, me too. We're talking with Allison Kill, the host of the Mueller She Wrote podcast. Allison, you know, we have this whole uh, scenario that has, you know, of, of hang Mike Pence, where they were, you know, marching through the halls chanting "Hang Mike Pence." Somebody brought the stuff for a gallows, and this was not some little two by four rickety thing. This was this was done by you know with eight by eight pieces of you know giant pieces of wood with holes drilled in them and bolts and it was it was just, it's a real functioning gallows. I read in the in the media last week that somebody had preserved the the hangman's noose itself. But do we have any idea who brought that gallows? Who built that gallows? How it got built on the lawn of the Capitol building without anybody noticing it? And what happened to it after January sixth or at the end of the day? Uh, outside of the public reporting, no, uh, and and my sources didn't have any insight into that. Although the FBI does have the noose, which indicates to me they're looking, they're they're investigating that. And that was another question that you had that I also had because my sources said that they they were speaking on the condition of anonymity because of ongoing investigations, plural, plural. Now I right. asked, were these law enforcement investigations, meaning Department of Justice criminal investigations, or were these congressional investigations, meaning January 6th committee? And they they would not answer that. So that is still a question that I do not have answered. And I think that's a question that the rest of the United States is waiting to find out. Is the Department of Justice investigating the, you know, the, the higher ups, the funders, the leaders, the insiders of, of the insurrection? Yeah. I mean, the speculation is just going nuts. Last point here, Allison, co-host of the Mueller She Wrote podcast, is the information that you have that these key cards were deactivated, is that information that the January 6th Treason Investigation Committee also has? I'm unable to answer that question at this time, okay. uh, based on conversations I've had with sources. Okay. Well, let's hope so. I can't, I <laughs> let's, can't help you there. I get, I, you know, I get it. I'm not trying to out your source or anything like that, but this is big. This, I, I, think, I think this is big news. I think this really has the potential to be huge news. Allison Gill breaking the story at the Mueller She Wrote podcast. MullerSheWrote.com and DailyBeansPod.com. And, of course, Muller She Wrote on Twitter and DailyBeansPod on Twitter. Allison, thank you so much for dropping by. Great talking with you. Thanks so much, Tom. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Keep up the great work. Okay, back to Kyle Rittenhouse. I want to just lay this down, and then I'm going to pick up your phone calls. First of all, here's a kid who is a essentially a wannabe cop, and you know, well marinated in the whole right wing sphere of authoritarianism and copism, and he's hooked up with white supremacists. After he killed two people and blew the bicep off another one, you know, injured for the rest of his life, a third person. Kyle Rittenhouse, with a big smile on his face, is flashing the white power sign as he's being photographed with a proud boy, you know, with, with you know, a, an openly white power group. I think that, you know, the, frankly, the best thing that can happen is for this case to actually have a mistrial and start all over again with a different judge, a judge who doesn't have Donald Trump's campaign theme song as his ringtone. Did you catch this? I believe it was yesterday. The, the judge, you know, during the trial, the judge's phone went off and it was Donald Trump's theme song. The judge's phone. So declare a mistrial, have a different judge and have a different prosecutor. Instead of trying to knock down a self-defense claim, how about building a claim that this kid never should have had an AR-15 in the first place. He's 17 years old. He couldn't legally have an AR-15. He couldn't legally possess it. He carried it across state lines. He showed up at what he thought was a riot, and you know, at, at, a, at a protest or both. I mean, how, whatever you want to call it, he showed up there with a rifle. And that in and of itself is a crime. Why is he not being prosecuted for that? And then in the process of committing that crime, he, by the way, committed two murders. Now, I'm not a lawyer. Maybe, maybe a lawyer out there can tell me where I'm wrong on this. But 
you know, basically uh, Rittenhouse's entire defense is I was a I was a volunteer cop. And he's using the same defense that police who are uh, accused of killing people in the line of duty use. He literally had memorized a number of these things and said, you know, over and over and over again when he was testifying that, you know, the, the guy that I shot reached for my gun. Well, cops say that, right? I was afraid for my life. Cops say that. That's the justification for pulling the trigger. I fired until the threat was eliminated. That's like cop speak. I just used force to defend myself. Cop speak. I used the legal amount of force authorized to protect myself and others. Mortos has a great thread about this, by the way, over at Democratic Underground right now. And, you know, I agree with Mortos, by the way. That, and he notes, he says, can you imagine how quickly a black 17-year-old carrying an illegally attain, obtained assault rifle would be convicted of murder if he went to a right-wing anti-vax protest and shot anybody who tried to disarm him? In fact, Rittenhouse was the criminal. He was illegally in possession of an AR-15. Somebody grabbed it and tried to, to, to disarm him, to take it away from him, and he killed them. The person who tried to take away his gun was actually the one who was trying to prevent violence. He was trying to take away Rittenhouse's gun. Or am I missing something here? Anyhow, Jessica in Chicago. Hey, Jessica, what's on your mind today? Happy anniversary, Tom. Thank you. I'll we are it. on the same exact wavelength. There are three things the Rittenhouse and the Mount Aubrey trial have in common. First, there shouldn't even be these trials. They're false claims of self-defense. A jogger hunted, outnumbered by three Ku Klux Klan members. Rittenhouse wearing a red fanny pack with a roll of gauze claiming he's an EMT. A medic with an AK-15 fully loaded to kill 30 people? There's no such thing. So the second thing these both have in common, these should be prosecuted as hate crimes. Where is our DOJ? We need a conscious DOJ. I'm sorry, I'm getting all railed up again. None of these defenses are paying for their own lawyers. They're funded through a site that they pay the insurrectionists legal fees to. And I can even throw number four in. Trump is watching these. This is his entertainment. He was the one who spoke up for Rittenhouse right away, and we gave him what he wanted. Yeah, I think the most dangerous outcome of this, Jessica, is that all over the country there are right-wing yahoos with assault weapons who are thinking, huh, next protest I go to, I'm going to kill some people. Apparently there's no consequence for that. Yes, and And this is a set-up trial. This is a phony trial. The prosecution talks back to the judge. Are you kidding me? The judge yells and screams. He's so awful. We know Mitch McConnell fought to have all those drama king judges in place. Merrick Garland needs to stop this. They're false trials, and they should be hate crimes. Well, these are state; these are both state trials. So you know, Merrick Garland has no no, part, you know, he's, he has no part in this right now. I mean, he, he, theoretically, if if Rittenhouse gets off, he could be sued by the federal government for denying the civil rights of the people who who he killed or something like that. But but yeah. Uh, yeah. Aren't they hate crimes? Well, that's that's my point. He you know, he could be prosecuted for a hate crime, but he's not being prosecuted. Oh, I see what you're saying. You're saying that Merrick Garland needs to come in and file hate crime charges against the guys in Georgia and against Rittenhouse. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I'm I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. But I think you know, let's let's get the murder stuff out of the way first. But the prosecution in this case is just blowing my mind. Uh, Jessica, thank you for the call. Kenyatta in Los Angeles. Hey, you're watching the uh, Rittenhouse trial too. Well, I'm actually listening to it, Tom, and uh, first of all, I wanted to talk to you about the acquittal of Kyle Rittenhouse, because that's exactly what is going to happen. I'm not one that is silly enough to make uh, predictions about such things publicly, uh, but this thing has already gone off the rails. I don't know if you know this, but a judge who is a real weirdo, as far as I'm concerned, in terms of judicial temperament, cleared the courtroom. He was very angry. Uh, But in this case, he had a reason to be. 
the prosecution, Kyle Rittenhouse, as you know, has taken the stand. And the prosecution uh, and cross-examination, one of the first questions uh, the prosecutor asked is, you know, you're here, I'm paraphrasing, today telling your story. Uh, but you were uh, silent before you waited until it was inferring that you waited until you had all of, uh, you know, the evidence that the prosecution put on it. Now you want to tailor, tailor your story to that. And even though that may be true, constitutionally, that is absolutely a death knell. So not only is Kyle Rittenhouse going to be acquitted prior to this incident, if nothing else, the prosecution is guaranteed a mistrial. Tom, I don't understand something. Why this case by the prosecution? They seem to have fallen into a trap with the defense and that the defense was trying to make this a self-defense case. And the prosecution fell into the trap of trying to counter that instead of understanding this. First of all, this is a kid, 17 years old, from another state who comes talking about he's protecting the gas station. He's protecting the car source with an AR-15. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't understand the prosecution in this in in this case, but let me tell you this, Tom, and I'll, I'll I'll shut my mouth. The most troubling thing for me is something that you probably, I'm sure, have absolutely no concept of, and that's I see a similarity in this and the '92 riots in Los Angeles, or so-called riots. And let me tell you what that is. No one's ever talked about this, but I was there. And from the time that that verdict was announced that day, within hours, and I'm talking this is three Rodney or King? four, Rodney King. Yeah. Uh, but those those rights weren't about Rodney King. But that's another story. Yeah. Um, within hours, hours. I'm talking about it's still daylight. So the verdict comes out about two o'clock in the afternoon. Within by four or five o'clock, all of the liquor stores and and, and, and wig businesses and all those things that permeate black communities all over the country. There were Korean store owners on rooftops with AR-15s and bulletproof vests. And I'm not, I'm talking dozens and dozens, block after block. No one's ever said anything about this. And I think about Kyle Rittenhouse, 17 years old from another state, walking down the streets with an AR-15, and the cops are offering him water. And he's apparently, from his testimony, he's wanting to give himself up, and they're just letting him go. Here's the thing. Here's the parallel for me. I keep wondering, just like the insurrection on January 6th, if those were people that looked like me, how would the cops have responded? Yeah. Well, that was the, the thing I, the, the point that I almost made was, you know, he was killing white people. Um, you know, it's, it's like that, that has to be tainting the whole thing. Um, anyhow, Kenyatta, thank you. Thank you for your observations. It's always good to hear from you. Quick math, the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Just head over to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. 
So I retweeted a tweet that showed the picture of Rittenhouse with the Proud Boys doing the, the white power salute. I had said earlier this was right after he killed these people. Apparently I was wrong on that. Just want to correct myself on the air here. Apparently this was months later that he became basically the hero of right-wingers who have fantasies about killing left-wing protesters, sadly. So, for the record. Josh in Minneapolis says here you disagree with me. Uh, about what? Well, it's not entirely that I disagree with you. I just, I wish that your show would be a little bit more balanced. I like to listen to both sides of everything. I listen to left-wing radio and right-wing radio, and I like to find my... Well, if you're listening to the right-wing radio, Josh, you're not listening to both sides on there. If, yeah, but, you know, I, I opened the show with a debate with a conservative. But, you know, whatever. Make your point. What's, like, your, what's uh, your point? So my point is, is like, um, I constantly hear you say, like, about the, the January 6th insurrection. Right. And you're very quick to always say it's an insurrection. You want, like, everybody prosecuted for that. But I... I don't think I've ever heard you bring up about all the riots going on. Like, I live in uh, Minnesota, just outside of Minneapolis. I've seen the things happening. Um, seen it firsthand that it was almost like a war zone. It Josh, I have said dozens of times, and, and, I, and I said it a lot and, when this was going on here in Portland, that people who destroy property, people who are rioting, should be arrested and prosecuted. But that doesn't mean that you should show up with an AR-15 and shoot them. I'm not saying that people need to show up with an AR-15, which was my other point is, if what he was going to do was actually just go there to help protect buildings, to stop people from causing damage or from which hurting Which is not other. what he did. And knowing that, well, I'm just saying that if that's what his intentions were, that's what he was believing he was doing, and that's all he intended to do, like that's what he says, then when he went there... Yes, he does have every right to protect himself if he's going there, knowing that people are assaulting people, people are hurting people, people are, are armed, and people are getting hurt doing this. So if he's going there and he's just trying to help stop these things, but he also realizes my life might be in danger, I should probably think ahead and have a way to defend myself as well. If he, that's all he was doing, then he had every right to have that with him and protect himself if he had it legally. That's Which he did not. Maybe a question up in the air. No, he, but, he, he, you know, he legally couldn't own an AR-15. It was a, it was, he got it through a straw purchaser. He couldn't legally own it. He committed a crime. That, he he was a criminal walking down the street. Issue. Because I believe, already I he, he had committed a crime simply by walking down the street with that AR-15. And when a guy walked up to him and tried to disarm him, tried to take it away from him, he killed him. A, a law-abiding citizen tried to stop a criminal, and the criminal killed the law-abiding citizen, the criminal in this case being Rittenhouse. That's how I'm looking at it. If he, he should not have been carrying a firearm if he was doing it illegally. And I'm he was. I'm a believer that everybody should be carrying their firearms completely legally. I agree with you. But... He was not. The other he was carrying it illegally. You know, he was committing a crime. He, I, he crossed state I don't state know if he, should, if he had that, but... If the question, in fact, I'm not going to argue if it if he was carrying something illegally, then yes, then that that's something that I, I would think that he should be prosecuted for. Yeah. If he was defending his life, if that's what they're they're trying him for, and he was being assaulted, like from what I heard of a, a, a one of the 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 people that he had shot was admitting on the stand that yes, he was attacking him while he got shot. So at that point, it says, well, that to me it says self-defense if this person was attacking him. Yeah. Well, this you know, is this is what the jury is going to sort out, Josh. But I'm, I, you know, yeah, what disappoints me is illegally. That the, I do agree actually, that you should not be carrying something illegally. I'm yeah. a firm believer. You know, I, I believe in the Second Amendment. I'm a gun owner, but I also am very strict on you need to abide by every law while using them. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you, um, Josh. So I got to run, but thank you very much, Brad in Prattville, Illinois, or Alabama. Excuse me. Hey, Brad, what's up? Hey, Tom. Uh, the question that I have about Rittenhouse, if he cross state lines with a firearm with the intention of killing somebody, which I don't see, I firmly believe that he was, he had real intent at minimum. Is that not a federal crime in and of itself? And could he not be prosecuted for crossing state lines? Well, you would have to establish that that was his intention. I mean, he's, he's asserting, first of all, a, a caller earlier said that uh, Rittenhouse had a friend in Wisconsin buy the weapon for him. So the weapon didn't cross state lines, just Rittenhouse did. Um, which raises oh, okay. the question, you know, what's the deal with his mom? She was being interviewed by Sean Hannity yesterday, I guess. Um, you know, she was the one who drove him to this riot, 
right? Did they stop mm-hmm. along the way and pick up an AR-15 and stick it in the back of the trunk? I mean, what, really? Uh, you know, number one. And then secondly, you know, he is asserting that it wasn't, he didn't go there with the intention of killing people. He went there with the intention of, you know, protecting property and he found himself in a position where he had to defend himself. That's the essence of his defense. And, and, and are you seeing any parallels to the Bernie Getz? If, if, uh, you probably remember back in the 80s. Yeah, I, I remember Bernie Getz really well. And for people who don't, uh, he was a guy who was on the New York City subway with a concealed handgun, which is illegal in, in New York. He had no permit for it. And uh, he was confronted by a panhandler, as I recall, or, a, or somebody you know, trying, to, trying to rob him. And he pulled out the gun and shot the guy. And, and uh, the city of New York was prosecuting Gates, uh, Gates, but he, he became you know, quite the hero there for a while. Uh, I understand. He, he waited on that train all day to become, he wanted to be a hero, and he waited on that train, rode it all day That's long. right. I had forgotten that in, part in of order it. To, he was in, looking in order to, to put himself in that position. You're absolutely right. I had forgotten about that. Um, or as I recall, you're right. Um, you know, we will see how this shakes out. But what concerns me is that you've got a judge whose ringtone for his phone is the Donald Trump theme song. And he ruled early on that you cannot refer to the people that Rittenhouse killed as victims. You may only refer to them as rioters or looters. And, uh, you know, it seems to me like, you know, this thing is in the bag to start out with. So, anyhow, Brad, i got to move along, but thank you for the call. Matt in Minneapolis, listening on AM 950. Hey, Matt, what's up? Hey, good afternoon, Tom. So I kind of wanted to respond to that caller that was talking about the riots in um, Minneapolis, and I wanted to comment and say, and this is something that the mainstream media is missing, is that there were a lot of outside forces that were coming into the city to cause a civil disturbance. Oh, and look at Umbrella Man. I mean, the first windows that were smashed were smashed by a guy who we later learned was either a right winger or a cop. I forget which. How did that shake out? You live in the area. Do, Do you recall? Yes, so that was that was a police officer, as, as far as I understand. And what I had seen coming into my neighborhood were these guys driving these giant pickup trucks, the coal rollers that they call themselves. They had the blue line stickers on the back of their trucks, and then they also had the the Punisher skull on the back, which is another symbol that has been adopted by the white supremacists. And they had came here with the intent of causing a civil disturbance, and the police completely withdrew from the area. And this is prior to any voting on any defund the police, and they have continued to be withdrawn from the neighborhoods. Like, it, it, it's, it's ridiculous. And these white supremacists were leaving caches of gas cans around the neighborhood. It was Scary, very wow. scary. Wow. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll take my answer off the air, but Tom, thank you for preaching the good word. And this is something that all of the media keep missing that these white supremacists came here with the intent of causing a civil disturbance and they succeeded. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm with you. Matt, thank you very much for the call. Bill in Clifton, New Jersey. Hey, Bill, what's up? Hey, Tom. Um, y- yeah. Um, million years ago, I was in communication school for television radio, and they had the original FCC rules, and even a broadcaster had to have a uh, third-class FCC license. I remember. I had one. Right. I think that was because in case the board uh, guy who ran the board keeled over, you could take over or something like that. But uh, anyway, um, all those, you know, rules fell by the wayside, and it comes down to one thing, which is um, language. The, the class I took in there that was called the, the failure of language. And language is so um, part of a person that speaks that, you know, it's difficult to, uh, to claim intent. When they draft a law, there's always loopholes which get around the intent. There's the intent and there's the letter of the law. I think when you violate the intent of the law, it's more important than having an argument with the language. And if there was, you know, uh, what's his name? Uh, Scalia spent time trying to have a seance with uh, Washington to find out what was in his head. 
you know, for, in terms of intent. And it has to be more well-defined. I wonder if when they pass uh, a bill or a law, it should have audio files attached to it on what each representative uh, had on their minds, and maybe, you know, people, too. Yeah, although the it's, Supreme Court has ruled that it doesn't matter what the intent of the legislators was, uh, that it, what matters is what the law says. I mean, that's, that's the basis of uh, Neil Gorsuch's whole yeah. originalism thing, well, which is now the new right-wing thing on the courts. Right, but the Second Amendment is a failure of language. Even though it was written well, people are not doing what it was originally intended with it. Oh, absolutely. So, and, and, the, and the intent of the Second Amendment is you know, clearly documented. I wrote a whole book about this, The Hidden History of Guns in the Second Amendment. It was there so that we could have uh, state militias to replace a standing army during time of peace. And it was there to protect the slave patrols in Virginia, South Carolina, and Georgia. I mean, you know, it was just and, and, and very straightforward. Bill, I got it wrong, but thank you for the call. Your points are very well made. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Let's get back to our conversations. There's, there's, you know, all kinds of stuff going on here. In particular, the Rittenhouse trial. Nicholas in San Cristobal, Mexico. Hey, Nicholas, what's on your mind today? Thomas, thank you for taking my call. Let me see if I can say this just so that it makes sense. I was having a discussion last night with a retired uh, judge from Connecticut, a close friend of mine here, and she said something very interesting. She said, we were talking about the Rittenhouse trial, and she said, uh, are you aware that the system, the judicial system, sometimes defends or attempts to defend with the assumption they're going to win in the defense, uh, uh, chooses to defend the otherwise indefensible? And I said, uh, why, how? To what purpose? To what point? And she said, well, it's often to send a different message to a different group of people. I asked her to clarify that, and she said, well, in the case of Rittenhouse, she said it may be an attempt to send a message to protesters that they will not be safe at protests, which really set me back, and I got to thinking, and we talked at some length about this, and she had me fairly well convinced that this is something that goes flies under the radar, if you will, and that the defense may be trying to send that message in this defense of Rittenhouse, this little murderer, really, I, as I see it, um, to send a greater message to the protesters, stop protesting, or you two may get killed. Do you have any thoughts on this? I mean, the idea would be to discourage future protests, of course, so. That's chilling. What she was saying. I mean, that's it's that's chilling, that's exactly it? what the brown shirts were doing, what the black shirts were doing, what Pinochet's right. guys were doing. Right. You know, trashing protesters, killing protesters. Exactly. You know, this this is exactly. like Kristallnacht all over again, which was this week actually, however many years ago, but the anniversary was this week. Uh, let me let me ponder that, Nicholas. That's that's a a, a pretty giant. Um, concept to lay on us all that the judge and the prosecutors are essentially trying to send the message to would-be protesters particularly people protesting racialized police violence that in the future you will be putting yourself at even greater risk and so don't even think about protest that, that's that's stunning 
Nicholas, uh, let me ponder it. Thanks a lot for the call. And thanks for sharing that. Bob in Asheville, North Carolina. Hey, Bob, thanks for watching us on Free Speech TV. What's up? Hello, Tom. A quick shout out to my fellow veterans today. I'm a retired faculty member, and back in 2008, when President Obama won his first election, election night, I had two. I had a set of twins that were sophomores in my class, and they were back home at their parents' house, and they tested out to their friends a call to arms to kill this end, blah, 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 blah. To kill Obama. The next morning, yes. By the next morning, feds had stormed their homes and arrested them both. Whoa. And and confiscated all their guns, all their computers, and they were at the parents' house. So the parents ended up with charges as well for aging. Uh, these two fellow uh, students were thrown out of college, obviously. They'd lost all their guns, all their gun rights. They'll never be able to hold a, a federal position, which the Fish and Wildlife I taught was their goal. They would never get a job with feds or state. But why, under the Cheney presidency, it happened so quickly that this justice came to bear but we're well there's a law against threatening the president of the united states there's a very specific law about that exactly. I, I don't know if it came out of the lincoln assassination or or the mckinley assassination or what but there is a specific law and uh exactly and why is Kozer running around grinning about free speech and uh, comedy and you know, it's, I don't know why they're not being able to, to so are you suggesting bob that that the law that says that you can't uh uh, encourage the assassination of the president should be extended to be basically you can't encourage the assassination of anybody? I would think that should be a, a threat that should be addressed. Yeah. Lawfully somehow. And it's it's rapid now. Yeah. Well, and, and the other thing that's troubling is, uh, I don't know if you caught Rachel Maddow's program night before last, or maybe three nights ago, where she had on um, these election officials who are getting explicit death threats. At, well, Reuters did the reporting. In fact, I talked about it on this program, the, the, the morning, you know, I talked about it on the program that day, and then she did it on her show that night, about uh, this Reuters report where they tracked down these, these guys who literally were making death threats to election officials and were proud of it. And the yeah. police never showed up. And this, this is technically illegal. I mean, it, uh, not technically, it is illegal to make death threats. And, yes, and, and, these, and it's not prosecuted. White, these were two white young men threatening to kill the first black president of the United States, and it was instant justice. Yeah. And uh, it's happening now from teachers to medical workers to elected officials, even our president, and it's just nothing's yeah. happening. Yeah, this, this, these are the early stages, Bob, of, what, of a vigilante society. And, yes. and, uh, and vigilante societies tend to become fascist societies fairly rapidly. And I, I think that, you know, I'm very concerned about this. I think, you know, the many, many people who are concerned about this are, are right to be concerned about it. Um, and I'm afraid Rittenhouse will walk, and that's just going to encourage more yeah. vigilanteism. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. I am with you. Bob, thank you. Thanks for uh, sharing Happy that story. Yeah, thank you very much. Thanks, Tom. Yeah, uh, good to hear from you. I, Wow. Brett in Seattle. Hey, Brett, what's on your mind? Well, I had a idea from, you know, the reality TV show, The Voice. Mm -hmm. I think that we should be selecting jurors and they should be anonymous so that neither the defense nor the prosecutor knows the color of the skin of the person who may end up being on the jury. And I don't know how we would go about doing that. It'd probably have to be state by state. Mm -hmm. But yeah. I think that would. There were there were I believe eight black ju potential jurors who were struck by the by the defense. I don't see how you could do that, Brad. I think you know because you you want you want to be able to interrogate somebody who's going to hold your client's life in their hands. You want yeah, to be able to see their see affect. Right. No, I get I get what you're saying, and 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 you know it, it reminds me kind of of the wasn't a Britain's Got Talent or there's there's one of those singing shows where they they have the person singing uh, without being able to be seen the first time, and they judge them based on something other than their appearance. Yeah, exactly. The Voice. The Voice. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, and and you know maybe there's some way to pull that off, but I think instead having you know strict stricter penalties for racially biased jury selection would, would be a, a starting point. I realize and, it's theoretically illegal. And the judge, too. 
Yeah, and the judge, too. There you go. Brett, thank you for the call. By the way, uh, uh, Sean looked it up uh, during the break. This judge was appointed back in the 80s, back in the 1980s. He's been reelected every single time. He's 75 years old, and he's the oldest circuit judge in Wisconsin. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Naveed Shaw is on the line with us. He's with CommonDefense.us. His Twitter handle is Army of Naveed, N-A-V-E-E-D, or at Common Defense. And uh, Naveed, pull these two threads together for us. How do we support veterans and support voting rights? Hey, Tom. Thanks so much for having me on your show. My pleasure. Um, you know, you know, I, I served in Iraq in 2009 and 2010, and I was there for their second ever national elections. Um, for many of those Iraqis, it was their first time being able to cast a ballot in any election. And, and for that day, uh, I believe it was January 10th, uh, for once, the American troops who were there on the ground were not the target of the insurgents. Rather, they were targeting ordinary Iraqis on their way to the polls. Uh, I think more than 100 people were killed or injured that day because they had to brave bombs and bullets just to be able to go cast their ballot. Um, and seeing what happened here on January 6th of this year, um, you know, it's hard to believe. That, but for me, for a moment, I felt like we had, you know, gone back a decade. And, and while, you know, our election day luckily uh, did not have those kind of, you know, violent attacks, the attacks that our democracy are currently facing are in some ways even more, uh, even worse. They're, they're more sinister because... Uh, they're being done under the color of law. We, we have uh, uh, legislation across the country that is, you know, in many ways restricting access to the ballot. Uh, right now, 4.7 million veterans in this country have suffered from some sort of disability. Uh, and so by restricting access to the ballot, by, you know, cutting off early voting, by, you know, not allowing mail-in voting, uh, by, you know, any number of these types of voter restrictions that, uh, GOP legislators across the country are trying to put into place, they are essentially preventing the people who fought to defend our democracy from being able to exercise their fundamental right to vote. So disabled veterans are disproportionately affected by voter suppression laws that have been passed, the, these 33 voter suppression laws that have passed 19 states. Is that the essence of what you're saying? Yeah, absolutely. You know, many veterans who suffer from disabilities can't stand in long lines to wait to get into the crowded polling place to vote. They need to be able to vote by mail. They need to be able to vote early. They need to be able to cast their ballot in a way that fits their life and their disability. Mm -hmm. uh, and while veterans are certainly a big portion of this population, uh, there are disabled Americans, you know, from all stripes and all backgrounds who you know, are facing these same kind of challenges. And we're talking with Naveed Shah. He's an Army veteran, the political director of Common Defense, and also Veterans Against Trump. Common Defense is the largest membership organization of progressive vets in the United States, commondefense.us. So, uh, Naveed, we have three pieces of legislation that would expand voting rights. There's the John Lewis Voting Rights Enhancement Bill. I'm sure I'm mangling the name there, but the one that's named after John Lewis, uh, which uh, has some, you know, some considerable, well, they, they all have considerable support on the Democratic side. Um, then you also have the, the what used to be called H.R. 1, the For the People Act, which is the most expansive of the three. And then you've got the one that Joe, Joe Manchin negotiated with Lisa Murkowski and some other Republicans that we know has at least one Republican vote in the Senate, the For the People Act, excuse me, the uh, Freedom to Vote Act. Um, what are your thoughts, or is your organization taking a position on any of these three, or just just arguing that hey, we've got to do something? Damn it, this is wrong. 
Well, you know, it, we've been working on this campaign, uh, you know, almost since the insurrection. Uh, and, and we, on every iteration of the voting rights legislation that has come up, we've been supportive of it uh, because it, to a certain extent, it is kind of the point now that, yes, let's pass some voting rights legislation. It would be better than what we have now, which is nothing. Uh, and unfortunately, the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act uh, was which has you know traditionally been passed on a bipartisan vast majority basis uh was not even allowed to come up for a, a debate on the senate floor earlier this, or actually last month uh this was a couple of weeks ago and now the current iteration the freedom to vote act that senator mentioned uh you know introduced we are very supportive of that we we are very supportive of senator mentioned you know taking the initiative when uh, S-1 or H.R. 1, the For the People Act, uh, failed to come up with this compromise legislation with uh, his colleague, Senator Murkowski. Right. At this point, many, many states have already started drafting their maps for the next year's uh, you know, congressional elections. Uh, and we need this legislation to pass to prevent any further partisan gerrymandering. Yeah, Texas has already done it. To. Exactly. It, 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 it comes back to this, that voters should choose their elected officials, not the other way around, right? So we're, if we're allowing them to draw maps in their favor, uh, whether they're Republican or Democrat, it, it, you know, it's not fair. It's the, and at the end of the day, uh, the voters' voices need to be heard on this issue. Remind me of the hashtag that is going viral right now on this issue. Absolutely. It's Vets for Democracy. Uh, you know, our, our members are tweeting in support that if you want to support veterans on Veterans Day, one easy way to do that is to pass the Freedom to Vote Act. Right. And and in order to pass this, it's going to require either ending the filibuster or drilling another hole in it. There's a you know, they drilled a hole in it for Supreme Court justices. They drilled a hole in it for lower court judges and, uh, and cabinet officials. And they drilled a hole in it for budget items. These have all occurred at different times. Um, and, uh, are, is your organization taking a position on exactly how to get around the filibuster or are you arguing that, hey, why are not at least 10 Republicans, um, you know, in favor of voting rights? I mean, the, when, the, when the Voting Rights Act itself, uh, the Voting Rights Act of 1965, which had to get renewed every 10 years, it, it keeps getting renewed. And when it was renewed during the George W. Bush time, which I think was 2005, you probably know better than I, um, it, it was renewed unanimously in the Senate. Uh, it was not it was non-controversial. Yeah, absolutely. Having you know, Republican support on this issue would be huge to not only to, you know, to bolster our, our voting rights, but also to show all Americans that we have trust and, and trust the integrity of our election system. Uh, and it's disappointing that we can't find those 10 votes. But at this point, we are asking simply for passage of this, whether that means finding another carve out for voting rights legislation, as it has been done in the past on those other issues you mentioned. Uh, or, you know, abolishing the filibuster altogether, we wouldn't be opposed to that. Because at the end of the day, as veteran, I sworn oath to the Constitution of the United States. The filibuster is not in the Constitution. It's an arcane Senate rule that has historically been used uh, for this type of, you know, uh, blockage of civil rights legislation. Correct. So it's really not something that we support. Yeah. 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 I, I, am, I am completely with you. Naveed Shah, an Army veteran, the political director of Common Defense. Uh, the Common Defense, the largest membership organization of progressive vets in the nation. Check it out, commondefense.us. Uh, on Twitter, Common Defense, or Army of Naveed, N-A-V-E-E-D. Naveed, thanks so, so much for dropping by. Great talking with you. Thanks, Tom. I appreciate it a lot. My pleasure. Nancy in Woodland, California. Hey, Nancy, thanks for watching us on Free Speech TV. What's on your mind today? Yeah, I just wanted to give a shout-out to Veterans for Peace. Um, they've had a campaign for many years to, as they call it, reclaim Armistice Day, which, of course, was the original name for Veterans Day. Because mm -hmm. they feel that in their website, they say they feel that the best way to honor our veterans is to celebrate peace and, and not war so that they don't have to go to war. And uh, so people can go to veteransforpeace.org and see what they're all about and also to see what the various chapters are up to across the country. Cool. Okay. Thank you, Nancy. Um, sure. Thanks. You know. Happy anniversary. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, nice to hear from you. I appreciate the call. James in Houston. Uh, James, you, did I get a detail wrong that Rittenhouse's mom did not drive him to Wisconsin? What did I miss? Yeah, Tom, and like a true libertarian, I love the truth to come to be free. But, yeah, Kyle drove himself to Wisconsin and went to his buddy Dominic's house. Then Dominic drove him to the actual riot. His mom was actually 
back in their home state. But furthermore, what's alarming in these conversations is y'all talk about this judge being biased when he's defending the Constitution of the United States. And it's clear from the facts that y'all have had it correct already and that I'm correcting now that clearly y'all aren't watching this trial. If this trial ain't a matter of self-defense, self-defense no longer lives in America. (laughs) Kyle Rittenhouse defended himself against serious bodily injury or death, which is what the Wisconsin law states. Well, that's going to be up to the jury, James. And to the best of my knowledge, nobody else shot a weapon on that day. So, you know, how is he defending himself? A guy tried to take his gun away from him, and he shot him. A guy that said, if I catch you alone, I will kill you, tries to take his gun away while he's alone. Yeah. Well, we'll see how it shakes out, James. We're, we're going to see but, how it shakes but, but out. What, I, what I'm concerned is, is that you're already setting a narrative, Tom, that, that this I was am. a pre-motion. I think that when you go to a protest, a riot, whatever you want to call it, you go to something with an AR-15, you have crossed the boundaries of rational discourse. You have become the problem, not the solution to the problem. And if James, if you think, or other people in America think, that the solution to the problems, that our social problems in America, is for us to all get out in the streets with AR-15s, God help America. No, I, I think we can't lose track of our Second Amendment, but... The, but this has nothing to do with the Second Amendment. Just because you carry a gun does not make you a murderer, Tom. Cops carry guns every day. They're he not, they, he they don't, did they kill don't two people, it. James. Yes, he killed two people, and he wounded a third, and the third, quite frankly, is lucky to be alive. Yes, he, the third came up to him with a gun pointed at his head. That is self-defense, Tom. Well, it may well be, and we'll see, what the, we'll see what the jury says. But again, I'm saying if you show up with an AR-15 to anything... And, does it and make all, you a murderer? No, it doesn't. But in the, if you kill people, in my opinion, it does. James, thanks for the call. Norman in Talbot, Tennessee. Hey, Norman, what's on your mind today? Hey, how's it going, Tom? Good. Uh, long-time listener. I uh, just want to bring up one point that uh, happens uh, with these situations. seems like that when the, the perpetrator of a murder, murder or a killing uh, only gets one, uh, they only get one side, and that's the person still alive, <laughs> right. not the person that has gotten killed. And, and I watched this happen just time and time again. So you're saying that the people that Rittenhouse shot are not, you know, their stories are not being told or not being told well in this courtroom or not even being allowed to be told. Right. In other words, we don't know uh, what they did because it's all Rittenhouse and he's trying to save his butt, you know, yeah. at all costs. Yeah. And, yeah. and that, that's, you know, what my little theory. Yeah. Well, that's a good one. Norman, thank you. Thanks for that. Mike in Baltimore, Maryland. Hey, Mike, what's up? Hi, Tom. I'm so tired of listening to folks try to justify what this man did, what this child did. So first of all, you go across state lines, strike one. Two, you have an illegal weapon that you were purchased that you have illegally. Three, strike three. Strike four, who actually deputized you to protect anything to walk around anyone's street with an AR-15. And and here's the other thing. Everybody's talking about, oh, he was attacked. He was attacked. He was only attacked after he had already shot one person. So, therefore, please, stop with your whataboutisms and, oh, my God, it's self-defense. So if I have my legal gun and I just saw him shoot two people and I put three holes in him, am I I going to be a hero? Am am I going to be claiming self-defense? Or am I going to be locked up, thrown away, up under the jail, and have everybody that's defending that night, that boy right now? Yeah. Sadly, Mike, it depends on which side. Sadly, Mike, it depends on which side you're on, right? Obviously, it's just like the guy here in Portland who shot a right winger came and tried to attack him. He he shot the guy in the gut and who died. The right winger died, and he went on the run. And when the cops found him staked out the the place where he was in rural Oregon as he walked out to his car they just opened fire on him you know just executed him and well, that's you know how they treat people on the other side they don't they don't right. see cuz he killed a right winger you I'm can't sorry. do that in america you can't I'm sorry you know. they don't see black people as being human we are not human we have no feelings we have no emotions we have nothing we only have rage and uncontrollable desire to commit violence in their eyes 
So therefore, please stop. I don't see the violence over here. I see it on the on the right side, majority Caucasian. I'm sorry. Everybody wants to talk around in circles. No. The only reason people are defending this boy is because he's white. And the only reason this judge is defending this boy is because he is white. There very much is sides taking going on here or whatever. Okay. Mike, thank you. Thank you. Deborah in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Hey, Deborah, what's up? Hi, Tom. I'm a longtime listener and first-time caller. And I think Mike pretty much summed up a lot of what I was going to say. Kyle Rittenhouse on the stand said that that man said he would kill him if he got him alone. But there's absolutely no audio of that, no evidence of that whatsoever that that man ever said that. Right. And all he was carrying was a plastic bag. Right. So it's like the George Zimmerman defense. Right. Right. And um, this is not self-defense. I mean, you're talking about somebody walking down the street with an AR-15 I would feel threatened. I would feel my life was in danger. So would I have the right to kill him for, you know, walking down the street with an AR-15? And from what I understand, the other people were not armed except for the last man who's still alive. Yeah, the guy, the guy who lost part of his arm. Yeah. yeah, that's my understanding, too, is that, they, is that they were both unarmed. Terrible thing. Deborah, thank you. It's, okay. Yeah, thank you very much. Liz in Los Angeles. Liz, we just have a few seconds. You got a quick quick point you want to make? Yes. The U.S. Constitution says a well-regulated militia, comma, it's, the right to bear arms is conditional. To a militia. I agree with you. Anthony Scalia doesn't and the Supreme Court doesn't, but I agree with you, Liz. Liz, I got to run, but thank you for the call. Thanks so much for being with us today. We'll be back same time, same place. In the meantime, don't forget democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires all of us, and that includes you. So get out there, get active tag, you're it. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.